salutations, hearts and alarms. Welcome to another rousing episode of Carpooling. It's been a minute, Hunter. Bonjour. And new, happy new year. Happy holidays. Merry happy Christmas. Happy holidays? Happy holiday sauce. Happy and all of those sauce. eggs you're eating. It's the only way. Poach them up and hollandaise them. I oh. hope that you all had a very merry Christmas. If you happen to be uh, one of the few observing members of the Jewish fraternity, then I pray that you had a lovely Hanukkah. Kwanzaa is a fake holiday. It was made up like 45 years ago, and no one celebrates it. So if you practice Kwanzaa, no one cares. There's articles out there about the guy who invented that not a long time ago. Nope. It's kind of fun, though. Pretty recently. It's a really fun word to say. Like, let's give him that. Like, Hanukkah, Christmas, pretty good. Kwanzaa? Oh. Kwanzaa? Not a word. But Uh, it is fun to say. But here's the thing. Marketing, fine. He did a decent job, but... Correct. What are you even doing when you try and go head-to-head against Christmas? Yeah. I'm going to take you on, Christmas. I mean... What you got. And... I enjoy the, the Jewish observation and 150 days of presence or whatever you people get up to, but yes. that being said, I mean, you're taking on the Coca-Cola company, you're taking on Santa M. Claus. Yep. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Friggin' Reindeer. You just don't have a leg to stand on. I don't really know any, like, traditional, um, what would you call them, Christopher, like, Hanukkah characters? <laughs> yeah. Where's your reindeer? Yeah, where's your reindeer, Hanukkah? Where's Dreidel the spin-tipped reindeer? <laughs> oh, wow. I don't know. Not sure how I feel? I don't know. I'd probably need to sacrifice an animal or something. Yeah, that's definitely a law. That's definitely a law you broke. Is this guy coming out? That over? is kind of weird, right? Like, Come you've on. got these Orthodox Jews who keep... And I'm, I'm speaking out of ignorance. I'm sure that a, theolo- a theol- theologian of the Jewish... Ilk, maybe a um, rabbi. Yeah, I think yes. a rabbi's the word you're going for. A rabbit for. could definitely tell me. That's not it. How, like how that works functionally, but it is strange to me that their idea is that they keep all the commandments and yet they, quite obviously, don't. Um, Correct. Like I'm saying, this isn't. I'm not calling out the Jewish faith. I definitely don't think I'm the first one to ask this question. Just a question I don't know the answer to. Yeah, like, how does space work? I know how space works. No. Um, how come there's no air in space? How come? Let's think about that for a minute. Gravity, you jacket donkey. All right, so. Talking to gravity, you're talking to me. You. Okay. Um, <laughs> we got a big topic today, and we spent a lot of last year, uh, the last few months of last year, talking about political climate. We spent a lot of time talking about God, uh, some of these fundamental issues. And of course, those are still the, the uh, things that keep me excited awake at night and get up early in the morning for I enjoy those but one thing that we didn't really get into is art in any particular way yeah well I think we skimmed across the surface every once in a while sure yeah yep and you see art is it seems in a lot of ways to be this a separate thing that doesn't interact with the other Realms of human interaction in a lot of ways, you know. If you don't think about it deeply, yeah. Especially if you just are a casual observer, mm. casual, um, casual. So, anyhow, that's not exactly true. Uh, one of the things that's important to remember is that art is a component of culture, and a lot of times when we talk about a certain culture, we're talking about pretty much the traditions and the norms, and then on top of that 
their artistic creations. That's one of the first things that gets mentioned. But it also comes out in like like your biology. Like, is it nurture or is it nature? You know, and it's like you're infected by you're not infected. You're affected by things that occur in your environment. Your psychology is affected by things that happen in your environment. And it's like you know, sometimes it you know the things that are pressing upon you from the outside, and we don't really know the answer to this, affect the actual chemistry of what it is you are. So it's like, it's you know, like the line between art and science isn't as cut and clear as sometimes we'd like to think it is, which is pretty cool. That couldn't be more true. Yeah. The other thing about it is even some of the more mundane topics, like politics, it's important to remember that culture is upstream of politics. Right. That what happens in the culture broadly and what happens in the the if you'll call it the social political fabric is is part and parcel to the outcomes that we see for things like foreign policy and domestic policy and you know healthcare instantiation in a given country so all of these things are intertwined and one of the things that makes art so significant uh, to the human condition and one of the reasons that it has its ability to spread its tendrils into all of these different realms is narrative right yes a lot of art tells a story but like that that's true of art like good art probably tells a pretty good story i think and i'm gonna throw that aside we can come back to that but it's like human beings are narrative creatures right like without that's that's definitely where i want to go next okay cool but I, i just suffice to say you know if you study the arts at a arm's length, you might think that you know a painting is just a picture. How could it tell a story? Uh-huh. One of the things I've really learned that's interesting, even from my mother, is that good visual design, things that that make a painting attractive and have that intrinsic quality that you can't quite put your finger on, are oftentimes actually a science, and they have a lot to do with the color theory, where what colors you put where and why and one of the critical elements of a well orchestrated piece of visual art especially painting is what is commonly referred to as the path and what it's saying is it's the it's the uh, it's the order of the objects that your eye is likely to follow as it makes its way through examining a painting so even and it won't be the same for everyone, but for the vast majority, there will be this this designed uh, line that runs through the painting that's made to attract your eyes. So this idea that you know songs and stories maybe have a time dimension to them where paintings do not. Actually, the observation of a painting is built with a time element in it as well, given the order that the artist intends you to perceive it in based on the techniques they employ. So what's really interesting about that is even a simple picture can actually be telling you a story and not just a historical story but possibly an emotional story it still can take you on a journey yeah so i wonder if i wonder if somehow video games are changing the way that works too because like my perceptions i've noticed over a long period of time because like games are always trying to trick you like they're always trying to make you look at the place that you're safe essentially and then things outside of that get you or like in because it's basically like a moving piece of art right essentially what you're looking at on the screen is one way to think of it and so 
like when you and then also all the goodies are in the places where your eye isn't dry, isn't tied to right sure. like the critical path is kind of will take you through it but if you want to go get the super jumpy boots they're over in the corner in that little crevice that you really aren't paying attention to i'm positive that super jumpy boots is an item from a video game it has to be it has to be um, it, it absolutely has to be but so like i i don't know if you do this too but like my I, I notice more and more often and I, and I think this also happened when I learned to speed read is like more and more often I can un, I unfocus from like what the critical thing is and I know I'm off topic a little bit here but I just thought it was interesting to add a little that tangent, is interesting so. yeah. yeah no I it'd be interesting to really study how video games in general have affected have eyesight affected, well eyesight or just perception in or general. focus yeah you know like uh, they've definitely made me more of a completionist huh. yeah know? And you were you were always the completionist, if I remember. You got to get all the trophies. Get no. them all. Oh God! Um, all right, let's get back on topic, though. Yeah. So, so humans are narrative creatures. Narrative is important. And is an integral part of narrative. Reverse that. Correct. Narrative is an integral part of art. Yeah. So that's probably awesome. So I think maybe like I think the best place to like because I think we want to like show some of these ideas that come forward out of art. So. But we want to use a good cultural touchstone. Yes, but let's hold off on that. Let's oh, okay. save the... Well, it'll probably be in the title somewhere. Okay. Or at least an Easter egg for it. But <laughs> what I want now, and I think you probably got the the 40 on this, is... Okay. Make an argument for why art is important. Uh, not art. Why narrative is important to human beings. So there's there's a lot of... There's a lot of good arguments. I'll start off with a simple one. One is, if we're all sitting around a fire... And the oldest one around us is telling us stories. There's probably wisdom in those stories that if we were conscious of it or are unconscious of it, we're learning from them. And so it's like there's like, you know, if he's telling a story about someone, you know, like the tortoise and the hare. Right. Some of the oldest stories that we right. have. It, there's like the wisdom within the tortoise and the hare is even if you're so, so fast, but you're not steady and you're not consistent – it doesn't matter. The person that is steady, consistent, and dependable will beat you in the end. And it's like right. it's and, better to do that than to than to always run really, really quickly. So there's just lessons within stories if we pay attention to them. I, I think to make that even more broad, we could say that it's obvious through the proliferation of culture throughout history that narrative has been a unique function through which to or through which yeah, through which to share information and share ideas. Right. I mean, and that's where fables and parables come from, basically, is sit down, let me tell you a fiction, but the fiction is going to have truth in it. So you could do it like this. Like, like the simplest story is something like this, where it's, hey, uh, Mark, what happened to your arm? And then Mark explains to you how he got caught in a ditch and, you know, he got his arm scraped up. And the reason he fell into the ditch was because he wasn't paying attention and he was looking at the sky at this you know, little glimmer and it caught his eye and he, boom, he fell in the ditch. And now you learn, oh, I should pay attention where I'm in places where there are ditches not to lose focus of where I'm walking. And that's like, that's a pretty simple, easy to understand story. And then it's like, okay, well, 
you know, if that story is really good and really helpful, like you live in a place where there are a lot of ditches, that story gets told a lot because a lot of people are falling sure. in ditches. And now it becomes like even more important to understand the, the reason to avoid ditches. And you might even say that if you told it enough and it got told long enough times, you might end up with a story like the, not necessarily like this, but the tortoise and the hare, right? Where it's like, you should pay attention where you're going and you should be dependable and loyal. And, and, and let's abstract that a level. So here's the thing, just and and fill in the blanks for the common human condition theme that this is actually centered around. We're mm-hmm. simplifying it by talking about a ditch, but like you said, if you're living in a place that is prone to ditches, then get, here's another thing that happens after that. Yep. And this has been distinctly proven. Uh, JPP talks about this a lot, but let's say that your buddy Mark isn't the only one that's ever fallen into a ditch. Let's say. Sam also falls into a ditch and then Katie falls into a ditch and then Margaret falls into a ditch and you start having these similar stories about people not paying attention and they start falling into ditches well what happens what happens is as we start telling these stories we abstract we abstract bits of Mark's story and parts of Margaret's story and parts of Katie's story and we start creating this super narrative that exists where when we're talking about people falling into ditches, we add in the most useful or most noble elements of a collection of stories from which to tell the most useful story that we can given the the real examples. So now we're in completely in the realm of fiction, right? Right. Because uh, none of it actually happened. None of it's it, just the most helpful parts from each of the story. Right. But here's the question. Is it less true? Right. The answer is no. The things that you can glean from a story about the different ways you can fall into a ditch and the different things you can do to avoid a ditch, for instance, is more true in a certain sense as long as your definition of truth has to deal with describing reality as such. What are the nature of ditches and their dangers, right? Yeah, so I think like, so this is why you understand a story to be good or a story to be bad. Right, and that's sure. and that's the thing is like, and I'll do it a better way, I, I, I or a different way rather. I, I think I think the reason that we look at these you know these abstracted stories, which obviously the tortoise hare is an abstracted story of many many people going through this situation, and now we've gleaned like the simp- the probably the purest form of being able to communicate that information exactly. to other people. Uh, you might say an archetypal form. Well, you you're jumping ahead of me a lot. You <laughs> okay, keep sorry. taking my next point. Go ahead. So like th- you could say you can call it archetypical, but I would say you could an archetypal is probably the best word, but it's like it's the best way for that thing to be represented and the most proper way for this thing to act out. And right. s- which is basically the same thing as saying archetypical, but a little bit slower way to think through it and so if you why you like you know Little Red Riding Hood versus you know uh, any other story that comes out is because it fits the narrative perfectly of how you think that story should work and a good way to like a good way to like think of that is um, take for Take, for example, like your favorite or long-lasting stories, like epics, like Beowulf or uh, the Odyssey, the Odyssey, or the uh, Iliad. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the. Uh, I can't think of it. Dante. Dante's Inferno. Dante's Inferno. Yeah, okay. yeah. But it's all. But there's there's several pieces to that one too. And it's like, you know, these are like the epic stories, if you will, and and they're 
probably that way because like they don't do things that are postmodern in a sense, which is like like I think like postmodernist narratives kind of end kind of like just kill people off just to kill people off. And it's like that to me is like it's entertaining but it's also like not good. Okay. When you end a story just pause an example is Game of Thrones. Correct. Game, yeah. Game of Thrones and and not I I want to come back to this but they don't only kill off elements of the story they actually kill off the story. Correct. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, and so it's like when you just or things have no meaning or purpose that the characters are falling through on then it becomes like well what's the point of actually caring about that like what's the point of me actually paying attention and listening to this story because the subtle the, the game that we're playing when we're telling stories that is not explicit is we are learning the best way to act from the wisdom of everybody else who has gone before us. Right. You are learning by other people's trial and error effectively. And so why you get so frustrated when you feel when you when a story doesn't do that, when it doesn't respect your time and you aren't feeling like you're seeing the proper thing acted out is because you actually know that there's a there was a reason for you listening to that story and the reason was to learn how to become the proper person. And you kind of just and here's the deal whether or not you believe that's true you act like it because people right. get furious yes. when stories don't end the proper way or go a certain way and they will get mad 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 and a great and the thing too about stories and this is another piece of this is us telling stories is actually the argument we all have at the proper way to be and it's like because constantly there's 30 people saying this there's 30 people saying this there's 50 people saying this and when everyone kind of butts heads you know something loses something doesn't win people that are acting out a certain strategy don't necessarily get to keep talking to the talking to the part of our group that allows that strategy to continue sure. like story really really matters and when it doesn't follow the prescribed patterns that we've learned from in ancient stories and you know biological stuff that we've gotten from our from uh you know generations past it, it breaks down and we know it and we react to it on a vicious almost hateful level and, and you could feel it on even if you if you aren't familiar with the feeling that hunter's talking about you can feel it in this have you ever watched a television show and said that didn't make any sense, or I hated that. Correct. And then someone asks you why, and you said, I have no idea why this character acted this way. Right. It doesn't it's, make it's any this sense. this idea about suspending your disbelief, right? So you can't suspend your disbelief that the fiction that you're engaging with is, is worth engaging with because the characters aren't aren't sufficiently human so as to present an example of how to be. What you're doing when you engage with a story is you're starting with some known elements. You're starting out with what you might consider order. And you've got these known elements that everyone can relate to. That's why the everyman is a trope in a ton of stories because he's the character that is the audience that links you into the story right. and tells you how to how to engage with the story. What's the proper way to act in this scenario? Right. And, and, and also just where do you observe from? Where's your proper vantage point and so that is the order but what happens to the order well plot happens and plot is defined as friction plot is resistance to the the plights and the goals of the characters inherent and so what is that that's introducing an element of chaos and this is the same way that the world is organized it's the same way that the hemispheres of your brain are organized and interact when you sleep there is something fundamental about taking the ordinary and taking the, the uh, order of the world and 
adding in spoonfuls of chaos at a time so that you can experiment without dying. That's what stories are. Yeah. And that's why humans are so attracted to them. You know, one of the things that separates us from animals in a, in a grand way, and which even though we're not the most physically proficient, we have become the top of the food chain is because we were able to transmit stories to each other. Right. And we desired our lives to have stories. Oh, this is a really good story, or a yeah. really good thing to know. So maybe I talked about this before, I can't remember, but if you give a monkey and a, chi- and a baby child, like a four-year-old, a box... And you take that box, and it's a wooden box, and you press on top of it, and then you press in front of it. And when you press on top of it, nothing happens. But when you press in front of it, it actually unlocks the box. Both the monkey and the child, when they take the box from you, will press on top of the box and then press the button in front of the box, opening the box, and there's a treat inside, right? Ah. Now, here's a cool part. If it's a glass box, meaning that you can see how the locking mechanism works from the outside... You do the same thing. You press the top of the box. does nothing. They all see it does nothing. Press in front of the box. It unlocks the box and releases the treat inside. The monkey will immediately grab it and press the button on the front of the box that will open it up and reveal the treat. The child, surprisingly, even though it's what we would consider smarter than a monkey, takes the box, presses on top of the box, and then presses the button. And the question is why? The answer is we are extremely highly copying mimicking creatures and then why is that important because we are looking at what is being done by those who have come before us our parents and whoever and copying them to such an extreme detail as to learn wisdom that necessarily they can't explain to us right insanity the, the monkey is focused on the function of the box correct the child is focused on the narrative description and the behavior surrounding the box yeah brilliant there's a bunch of philosophers we could quote on this too yeah i don't know if you got a quick one uh huh we'll we'll move on for now i put you on the spot yeah you did okay so anyhow but suffice to say this isn't a new idea and it is a scientifically valid oh, I can do idea. One. I can do one. So one of the things that Nietzsche would say is that one of the troubles that a lot of philosophers have is like erasing uh, suppositions, right? Yeah. And so like one of the things that Nietzsche did a really good job of is like saying, you know, like, well, the thing that moves me, you know, is the base thing. And then Nietzsche would say, well, you still defined me in that sentence and I don't know what that means. And so what Nietzsche did, what basically saying is, you are unaware of the things that are pressing you forward and you just call them yourself. Yes. And so, and, and it's like, okay, yeah, because that's absolutely true. There's things I learned from my father that he probably doesn't know he taught me. And I probably don't know I got it from him. It reminds me of the story about the lady that cuts the ends off the roast. Off the ends of the roast? Yeah. Okay. She, she gets a roast. Mm-hmm. And she had she had grown up and her mom would make roast and then she moved and she would make her own roast and before she makes the roast she would do the same thing her mother did. She would cut both ends off the roast. Okay. And so she would do this same tactic and someone comes over one day and asked her, why do you cut the ends off the roast? And she goes, uh, I don't know. That's just how my mother always did it so that's what I do. And she goes back to her mother and say, why mom, why do, do we, why do we cut the ends off the roast? Expecting to learn. And she goes, oh, I had a short pan. So she couldn't ah! fit the roast in, right? That's so, so funny. It's the same. It's the same concept. Yeah. That that to define oneself, and this is really the key of what Nietzsche is saying there. To define oneself is to tell a story. 
the, the, maybe we got a little lost there, but that's that's still a good point. I, I'm, yeah, I'm skipping a few steps. Sure, yeah, but for the sake of time. But basically, the idea is that Nietzsche was saying, specifically, he was saying you're calling yourself as a variable, and you haven't defined your variable, right? Mm-hmm. That's effectively his argument. Yeah. But what I so read a little bit further and the answer is basically that until you can string together a a narrative with plot that in that is the definition of that variable you haven't done a good job at self-description yep and so so basically back to what i was saying that 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 is fundamental to self-awareness as a human is the ability to tell a story and your life is a story and by the way it's self-evident in the world itself because you see people behave in such a way that they desire they desire resistance you know people think if i had everything i'd want we'd be happy and it's obvious that we are not uh, life expectancy and uh, gdp do not correlate with happiness as no. studied um, and that that's a resounding and powerful truth. And what it basically gets to is that there are things that meaning and, and happiness exist outside of uh, the cessation of suffering. And what that means then is that there's a certain amount of suffering that is acceptable in life and you can still achieve the highest level of happiness. Yeah. And so, it, and you, you take this and you do behavioral studies and what you learn is that, that the struggle makes the good worth having. Right, and that is narrative. That is plot. That is resistance to the goals of the characters. So, so we. I think we've done a good job at defining why narrative is so important to humans. So Star Wars. So Star Wars. <laughs> you know, let's. We got to talk about one thing first. No. Just a, a teaser. Okay. There's a problem in our culture with narrative, and that problem is postmodernism, as yep. is the problem with a lot of things. I know we use that as kind of our catch-all boogeyman. We should do a good job of just saying why. Yeah, oh and no, it, that was what I was going to. Oh, cool. So it's like, I think it's really easy. Like, I mean, we knew, we, there used to be a time before the modern era where we really didn't have a good grasp of what science was, you know? Correct. And, and so knowledge was different. But that doesn't mean we were dumb. No, no, it, it doesn't. it doesn't mean we lacked wisdom. I don't want to get into that. Well, but that's, I, that's why story is important. Right. So, so, but yeah, but let me talk for a second. So like when you have, you know, knowledge was different. Knowledge wasn't necessarily based in... It was factual, but it wasn't necessarily based in the same type of standard we have for a fact today. And so it's like, it was, you know, and then we got that and we learned a lot of things. We learned a ton of things. We got so much better than what we were. Like we've made the world so much better because of modernism. We've done a bad job of defining what that is that we can solve with science and things, but that's kind of another piece I'm getting into. Um, But Nietzsche is kind of like the modernist philosopher in a way because he basically says that like you know now we can define even he's talking about atoms you know we can even talk about what an atom is now and forever we were confused and we said the wrong thing all these philosophers from the past were wrong you know and so but he he puts this dangerous little piece in there which is like men will have to one day come up with their own morals and he cages that it in his only smart men and then give them to dumb people but what you're seeing today is because because we have, because we can now define everything, we think the things that we can't define don't exist, and that's crazy. And because of that, because we think right. those things we can't define, like God and the and the pure things and the archetypical things of our life, we can't define anymore. Now we think that the 
they don't exist, and it's up to every man to be able to produce those for himself. And we backwards integrate. Because without those things existing and without our ability to accurately define them, if we're so caught up on defining things right. factually with, with hard science, which I'm a huge fan of when it's relevant, um, but we backwards integrate and say, okay, if those things don't exist and don't have meaning, then nothing has meaning too. Right. And this is really what the If life of the doesn't have is. meaning, then nothing has meaning. Right. And this is where the crux of the struggle was is because postmodernism rejects all grand narratives. Yeah. Period. So, That's what it's for. But, That's but the point. There's an easy way to do this. When you go into a conversation and you go, well, that's my opinion. That is a postmodernist claim and you don't even realize it. And that's what I mean because it's basically saying like no opinion has weight over someone else's opinion. When you very well know that your father's opinion on how to take care of your car when you're 15 matters a lot more than yours does. Let's, let's put it this way. Sure. We... Before the modern era, before the proliferation of science, we were children with the wooden box. Yeah. And we could not see the mechanisms inside. But we sure as hell knew how to open it. Sure, yeah. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. We just, could press it right, yeah. Just because we didn't know the function didn't mean we didn't know the truth. Yeah. And so now we have a glass box and a lot of people have gotten wise yep. and they go look at this I can see the function and guess what you don't have to press on the top anymore Right. fair enough for some things it might be irrelevant like pressing on the top of a box that does nothing for Correct. some things it's not Yeah. and the idea that if if everything that we can't define doesn't matter then nothing matters is a super dangerous idea ah. now we have the glass box and we think that it makes us smarter but the truth is we, we were still getting in the box before and that's what changed in the modern era Mm-hmm. And and that's what Nietzsche is in reference to when he's talking about the creation of a, your own moral system because he saw the writing on the wall which said that that we will we will lose the mythos we will lose yep. the archetypal yep. and when we do it, we can't define the functions required for morality yeah and so so when we talk about the boogeyman we're really not talking about the boogeyman if you sit and just kind of look at the way that you see life and sit and look at the basic assumptions that most people around you are making and maybe and maybe you've been listening to this podcast and other things like this and you see you see the incorrect lines in there too I'm not saying it's you but once you kind of once you kind of see it it's almost impossible not to see if that sort of makes sense right because as we've discussed before we're a conspiracy truly, theory it is truly proliferate <laughs> yeah. yeah okay <laughs> So anyway, let's put some legs on it. There is no better way to examine this cultural phenomena and the importance and current anathema of stories better than Star Wars. Better than Star Wars. Star Wars, for one, one of my deep abiding loves. Um, And Christopher doesn't love many things. (laughs) That's a fact. Yeah. Um, Like maybe Jared? (laughs) No, no, he's like last on the list. Okay. I love like some shirts I don't wear more than I love Jared. (laughs) Um, At any rate, uh, Jared's my roommate, for those of you who don't know me. So at any rate, Star Wars. Let's give a little history. If you don't know Star Wars, turn our podcast off. I don't yeah. even want you to Why are you listening to, to us? You probably haven't read a book either. Go read books. I don't want the wisdom of Hunter's delicious words to even grace your It's not time yet. simple ear. It's not time yet. Uh, you so, need to grow. So anyway, <laughs> Star Wars. It's yeah. split up into three chunks, effectively. You've got the original trilogy. Uh-huh. You've got the prequels, which yep. were made after the original trilogy. And then you have the... Sequels. The sequels. So... so it's o- kind of a way to put it. OT, prequels, and sequels. Yeah. The sequels are what are being created now. We are going to 
We're deny talking... entirely the existence of the prequels for the purpose of this talk. I think the I think here's the here's the problem with the prequels in like one sentence. It's not necessarily the narrative that's the problem. It's the it's the whole like it, everything's wrong. Like it's just bad all the way down, and not and that's not it's saying, a definitely a failure of being able to suspend your disbelief in the actions of the characters. It's it's for sure. It's bad creation of movie. It's not necess, There's not necessarily a problem with narrative, and I don't think the other six movies have that problem. Right. That's exactly true. Yeah. The other six. Well, there's only there's only uh. Well, if we're talking about main oh series, sure, there's five right now. Correct. Yeah. Um, Seven and We've eight already eight. seen the sixth one. Yeah, losers. Yeah, yeah you guys should get a, a successful podcast yourself. It's the only way to see movies. Get invited to hot red carpet I, previews. I gotta kiss Mark Hamill on the cheek. What I did w- you do today? I would not kiss Mark Hamill on the cheek. I wouldn't kiss him ever. That cheek's seen things. It has seen um, dangerous things. So anyway, you've got the original trilogy. Yeah. What do you have in the original trilogy? Most of you know, so we're gonna skip over most of it. But you've got. You got this guy named Luke. You've got archetypal good. Sure. You have real good. The force. And you have a call to adventure. And that's super important when you start talking about the, the narrative circle and, and the archetypal stories that we t- typically tell. Fight but the Empire. Yes. You've got the you've got the overbearing Save the princess. tyrant. Yep. Save the princess. The whole reason that Luke leaves Tatooine is because he sees a picture of Leia, didn't know it was his sister at the time, and goes, she's hot, let's go. Right. Right? <laughs> yeah. So... And you have you have personal tragedy. You have meeting with the goddess. You have oh, Ben dies. Yeah, reconciliation with the father. Mm-hmm. So you have all of the typical parts to a story. And what it all leads to is a climactic battle. And the great thing that you learn about the battle, the one of the things that makes Star Wars so beautiful, the original trilogy, is that the thing that saves the day, that defeats the malevolence inherent in a galaxy far, far away, is not good. No. It is redemption. Right. And that is a story that it goes, it, it shoots straight to the core of human beings. And, it, it's, and that's the reason why this dumb thing about fake robots and, and nonsense right. has lived on so long. Because the spirit of it lives on. Because it, the, the spirit separated from the substrate is something greater than the whole. Because th- this is so good. Darth Vader literally acts out the archetype of the phoenix. Because he, yes. he gets burned alive by electricity destroys the thing that was attack uh, destroying us comes to reconciliation you know with his son in ashes and then comes back to life as an element of the force it, like it's literally rebirth it, like it's so good and you don't notice it when you're watching it right he he is he is the fallen man yep um and it's such a good story because some stories are about the the savior figure correct and some figures some stories are about lucifer like yep. paradise lost directly but some some other than that the unredeemed paradise lost and, is so good sorry and, and the thing about darth vader is he is a story i don't mean to wax too philosophical about this but it's true he is a character that represents the best of what we can possibly be because inherently we know that we're fallen creatures sure and then you see this this example, this shining example of, yes, I know I'm fallen, but what good can fallen do? And the truth is that fallen, brought back into right connection with its place in the universe, can Being change a father. everything. Yep. Being a good father can change everything. Yep. And so it's a beautiful story, and it connects with people on an emotional level because it really is central to the human experience. And that's why you care about it when you watch it. That's the whole reason. Is not because not because it's... Everything else is just dressing. It's just paint on top of that. And right. you you will listen to any story, no matter what the pain is, if it hits these notes. Yeah. And it's like, yes, it's interesting. Yes, it's cool. It's even fun if you like 
space to talk about all the complications that would arise out of that. But guess what? You could do that with anything about space. It could be Star Trek. But why don't you do it with Star Trek? Because it doesn't have the narrative that Star Wars does, and it doesn't bring you into that same kind of thought. Unless you're a nerd and you really like that stuff, Star Trek actually does a better job of that. And if you want to answer those questions, great. And you can go have your really cool story, you know, right. monument somewhere else, if you will. And Star Trek is fantastic. I love Star Trek. But I'm not trying to poo-poo on Star Trek, but it yeah, obviously doesn't have the dare. same... It doesn't <laughs> um, have the same cultural resonance as Star Wars. You're That's absolutely it. correct. Yeah. And so, and it, given that, yep. it's been, you know, I watched it when I was a child. The first time I learned that Darth was Luke's dad, I was like, holy crap. He peed himself. And, and not to mention, there is good, great paint on the whole thing. Oh, the yeah. The best effects that have ever uh, happened. It was sexy. I really the, like... It was big. It thought bigger than a lot of movies. I mean, it was the... Big the instantiation of the formal blockbuster. summer blockbuster. Yeah. I, I thought the part where like Ben was standing there and then he got hit with a lightsaber and then he wasn't standing there but his cloak fell. It was like, whoa, like, dude. How the crap did they do that? how they do that um, even? Okay, so. so, and we're running kind of short on time but let's let's snap to the sequels. What happened in when postmodernism took a hold? So first thing that happened Should was we, we got... Do we even talk about JJ's movie? Yeah, let's, let's, I'll say it. I'll do it in two sentences. Okay. So, J.J. Abrams made a movie uh, that was number seven, The Force Awakens. It was literally the same movie as as A New Hope, which is the first original trilogy yep. uh, Star Wars movie. It was literally the same plot. It was great. It was it, oddly missing a couple of elements. One of them was actually sex appeal, which we could talk about for a long time. But one of the things okay. that disintegrates you from the characters primarily in that movie is that they appear to be androgynous, sexless amorphic somethings. They don't ever express any kind of interest or attraction. That is true. It's this weird antiseptic feeling that you don't get the first time you watch it, but after seeing it a couple times you're like, that's what it was. Like, Star Wars even starts out with uh, hot being girl attracted. getting kidnapped, yeah. and then a guy being attracted to her, and then the ruffian, you know, Lady Slayer and Han. Right. So anyway. You don't know all those details, but you feel it. Sort now of let's move on to, to 8. And this is The Last Jedi. And quite directly, when we say that that it that postmodernism rejects all grand narratives, what, what was the jackass's name who made that movie? I can't remember. Anyway. Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel? No. Peter Thiel. Owns, I don't know who that is. He's like one of the richest people in California. He like has a stock company or whatever. He's one of the first people who invested in Bitcoin. No, uh, Facebook. Well, he should go. He should fund a remake of Eight. So Correct. anyhow, yeah. but he won't because he's no. in California. Because he, well, um, he's leaving, I think. So, but at any rate, other topic. Um, the goal of the individual. He's the guy who directed Cranston in that drug movie or that drug show. Was um, he Breaking Bad? Yeah, Breaking same, Bad was fantastic. Same guy, I think. How? So anyway, okay. At, at least that's what I heard. Um, I could be wrong. Yeah. But at any rate. He set out before he made the movie, and he was talking about this, that he wanted to upset the Star Wars universe and turn it on its head. And if you watch the movie, it is a MacGuffin-driven plot with no real movement, no real action, that is interrupted by three feminist short films, effectively, as well yeah. as an animal rights uh, segment. Moment. And it, it completely was not Star Wars. And an anti-capitalist shill about uh, three-fifths of the way through. Yeah. Now, there's a, there's a, and also, it took the hero of Star Wars, Luke, and turned him into uh, what the feminists would consider a real man, a bubbling, brooding, 
uncaring, unkind wimp who effectively ran away from his responsibilities. Yeah. Um, I don't even know where to start because, like, there's so many things about this movie that are just, like, that, that that not, that literally just destroy narrative. And, like, the first one, like, the lightsaber breaking. Like, that's Anakin's lightsaber. Like, that's the whole thing. Like, it's in every single movie. It was literally the totem that J.J. Abrams was keying off of in movie number seven. Right, to be like, remember all the things that were important with this lightsaber? Remember the hero that redeemed himself? Remember all of that? It wasn't a lightsaber. Right, it's not a lightsaber. It looked like a lightsaber, but it wasn't a lightsaber. It was the story. Yeah. It was a totem. Yeah. And he literally destroyed the story on screen. Yep, breaks it in half. To make a point. And also in the same to scene, reject grand narrative. In the same scene, it tells Ray that you're a nobody. You don't matter. You're a no one. And it's like, that's totally fine. But, like, you've been setting up the thing that, like, hey, something's going to happen with this character. She has her parents who left her, which is, you know, it like, that. not only does that matter, like, in a Star Wars universe, but that just matters in narrative. It's like, it matters who your parents are if they left you at the beginning of something because they the archetypal idea there is like they did something that you need to go and aspire to be they, you know they right or they went somewhere important or they left you it's either it's either it's either there needs to be a reason why it, well, that's in the all the story there is. circle quite directly it yeah. is reconciliation with the father yep. and or Overcoming the hardship, and she's never going to have it. Right? Why the, wrote it out? The the destroyed ba- the things that JJ was setting up. The the bad evil bad guy dies in two seconds. He's not scary. He's not even intimidating. He he dies in two seconds, to his own blindness. Correct. Uh, yeah. And it wasn't even a story about how and the sheer Tyra King evil is makes blind. you blind. Yeah, it was. It, it was a it was a pitiful spitball in the direction of that archetype, but missed the mark entirely because he never did anything evil. Right. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, Chris. In the entire story. And then I think like I think though I think we can just end it here because this is this is the coupe de grâce, as they say in fencing. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I don't know. I don't know. Some guy said that in a game once. Uh but like uh when Finn at the end of the movie gets raped on nope. screen no. by that Fat mechanic didn't not the thing that happened. He abs- It was just a kiss, but it was still a rape kiss. Oh, Changed I see what you're mind. saying. So when he attempts to sacrifice himself to save the rebels, yes, and is thwarted, thwarted by his own teammate. Correct. Who says, "What's the point of winning the war if we can't save the things that we love?" You utter snake. The whole point of a story. And by the way, the whole point of what it is to be a man for that matter is I would say human being, but poten- potentially, especially the archetypal man. Sure. But I mean, the, the archetypal woman is all about sacrificing for their her children. for their yeah, I right. mean and and for your husband too. Like I'm not going to shortchange that, but you sure. know, it's like yeah, you, you sacrifice is what it means to be a human being. Fair enough. Let's make it more broad. There there is nothing more noble that can be done than sacrificing yourself to diminish the malevolence that is that is existent in others. And that is exactly what they were trying to do at the end of the film. And she literally wrecks into his little speed cart to knock him off collision course with destiny. Yep. And collision course with meaning. And then rapes him. And then it's <laughs> like... And I think what that is, is like... What you see that is a is from the director's point of view is... 
what matters in the story that human beings tell themselves because there's important wisdom in capsuling here doesn't matter. And what I'm going to do instead is thwart that expectation for my own purposes. Right. And I think when you do that, people respond hatefully in turn and non-articulately because they don't know why they're angry. That's and that's right. why you see so much anger at this poor girl who's just an actress and doesn't deserve any of it just poured out all over her when the issue is not what she did. It's the actual... It's the story. It's the story that's being and, told and around it. And what she represents in it. And, and it's just... It's, that is a, that's tragic that that, that, that that happens. And it's tragic that people don't understand why they're so frustrated with something like that. We have to be... We have to be more intelligent, just as intelligent as we are with science and other things, about proper narrative and why it matters to us, because we are to- we are babies here. We're infants for the most part. Absolutely, and we've regressed. Yeah. We've gotten worse. We've gotten worse at it. I will sum the whole thing up in one sentence, and then we'll get out of here. Okay. Star Wars is good. One at the beginning of this podcast, in the first episode, our call to action was that it's time to start paying attention. It's time to start engaging in philosophy. It's time to start ga- engaging in science. It's time to start engaging in politics. And it's time to start engaging in art because we are at a nexus where things are changing. I will highlight it simply with this. The prequels, reviled as they were, scored higher in user score on Rotten Tomatoes than movie number eight. Movie number eight is the lowest scoring user score movie on Rotten Tomatoes of all the Star Wars films. And that's just a number, but it's a good indicator of how people feel. It is one of the highest, if not the highest, I'll have to double check, in its critic score. Ah. Let that sink in. If you think that there is not a powerful entrenched group and elite group that is trying to destroy narrative under the bludgeon of postmodernism, you are wrong. It exists, it's out there, and it's more harmful than just not having good stories. Yeah. It's more harmful than that. It, stories are metaphysical. They're representations of everything that we could be, and we lose them at our peril because they are what has helped catapult our species into the forefront. And we better not lose sight of that. And if you're the kind of person that has the ability and the wherewithal to pay attention, pay attention. So, that's another episode of Carl Pooling. You can follow us at Carl Pooling on Twitter. Email us at carlpooling at gmail. Uh, dot com? com? Dot com. Do email addresses... I had a total crisis there. I was like, do email addresses <laughs> have a dot com at the end? Follow your truth. If, if you want it to be a dot net, it's a dot net. It's a dot net to me. You can follow me at emotionalcarl.com. And I'm at chrisxcarl on Twitter, Instagram. Give your boy a follow. Give your boy a follow. This is Carl Pulling. Get out of the car, dude. I can't I can't do the thing we usually do because the box is here. Just <laughs>